Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host Shri Ayer. Monday nights are Abhijit nights and let us welcome our guest of the evening, Abhijit Ayer Doron Mitra. Abhijit, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Veil, veil, vetri veil and thanks for having me as usual. And vetri veil, veera veil, Abhijit. And before we jump into the Q&A part, I would like you, Abhijit, to expand on the Twitter thread that you put out today about Rahul Gandhi, about the uh, mentality of the government that you see of being a glutton for punishment by, by uh, you know, uh, giving money to many anti-India entities. So take it away because there was a lot of information packed in that few sets of tweets. First few minutes, explain it to our viewers what you are trying to convey there and then we will jump to the Q&A session. Over to you, sir. Okay, so it started with a company called Logically AI, right? Now it turns out this company is full of uh, CIA fronts, leftist, typical, you know, lefto liberandu uh, trained at, uh, you know, the Atlantic Council disinformation and Charles University, uh, 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 whatever nonsense. Basically, everything reeks of being a CIA front, right? And all their work, there's nothing AI about that work. I'd really urge any of you who work on AI to go to their blog. Basically, they're a blog. They're nothing else, right? They make claims about doing stuff, none of which can be substantiated. Anyway, go and check any of you who work in AI and tell me what AI, any of their work, or at least on their website, shows you of uh, uh, displaying any evidence of. Anyway, so what happens is, this Logically AI, they win the Atmanirbhar Award in 2020. This, when all their staff are going, uh, liking and retweeting tweets by known separatists who have been charged under UAPA and are either absconding or in jail. Okay. Then, what happens is, it turns out, and you know, getting the Atmanirbhar Award is not so easy. You have to have a bureaucrat pushing you, uh, you know, mentoring you, giving you money and things. And it turns out this company has a lot of government contracts as well. Now what happens is that this same logical AI, they sponsor Rahul Gandhi's event in uh, uh, London this week where he goes and makes stupid statements. But if you read the Times of India report, what turns out now? Understand, this idea of India apparently is a Congress front. So Op India did a piece on it showing you how the parent organization organizing it is full of Congress folks. The event itself is full. There's one token BJP guy and everybody else is uh, 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 hyper lefty or hyper hyper left. Then it also turns out that Times of India has done a piece saying that this was meant to be a left wing linkage event to strengthen ties between the Congress and the left so that they can uh, 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 attack India even more. Uh, uh, and of course, Rahul, there isn't a trap that Rahul has seen that Rahul doesn't fall into. So Rahul is kind of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, sort of uh, footnote in this entire thing. Because uh, I, I keep telling you, Rahul is the biggest BJP agent around. What 007 is to Her Majesty's Secret Service, Rahul Gandhi is to uh, Narendra Modi's Secret Service. Okay, so uh, Rahul Gandhi comes and says some, and he didn't even say anything particularly uh, uh, anti-India at this particular thing. He said uh, that now Indian diplomats have stopped listening before they used to listen. 
and jay shankar of course responds to it saying oh now they are confident they are they take or, or they obey orders from the government it turns out jay shankar is just as cognitively deficient as rahul gandhi he said they don't listen do you understand the difference between listening and taking orders listening is a critical skill of a diplomat now how do you trust a man to be your chief diplomat who can't even listen to what rahul gandhi said tumhare mein kahan listening ki skill hai boss so unwittingly jay shankar actually proved rahul gandhi's point but it has to be said this is not something new what uh, rahul gandhi is claiming that these people have told him today i have been hearing for the last 10 15 20 years right so it's it seems like it's it's a celebration of stupidity from every side the bjp ends up looking stupid jay shankar ends up looking stupid rahul gandhi of course was always is he stupid though therein lies the point i think he's very smart where he's ring fencing himself from any prosecution or anything like that by acting as uh, the bjp's biggest vote getter theek hai so uh, that that essentially was the essence of the thread ki hamam mein sab nange essentially <laughs> wonderful so uh, a request to our viewers to like our program and uh, right now so that we can get as many viewers as possible we really really need your help to hit our numbers for this month very very modest numbers thus far fault is mine i was not able to host couple of ask abhijit events and abhijit stepped in wonderfully thank you from the bottom of my heart abhijit you did a great job you almost made me redundant but i am back here full of piss and vinegar to try and make this thing even more flavorful than what it already is and um, so please like this program right now and help us get this thing out there in large numbers first question please hardik thanki wants to know what is your opinion on 500 million yearly defense aid to india from america how can we best utilize it bhai ye 500 million is small change do you understand what our defense budget is it's something like 60 70 billion dollars a year what is 500 million going to achieve if you want to achieve a full replacement of russian equipment think about it let's do a calculation i'm going to use my calculator i wasn't the smartest at arithmetic but anyway <clears throat> you need to it's going to cost you something like 4 500 billion dollars over the next 10 years to replace all your russian equipment so you have to replace your sukhois you have to replace your mig 29 you have to replace your kilo class submarines you have to replace your russian uh, warships uh, 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 of the fleet uh, you have to replace your tanks 400 to 500 billion dollars is a conservative estimate now 400 to 500 billion dollars over 10 years is something like 40 to 50 billion dollars a year okay true you are offering us what percentage of that <laughs> Let's let it go. It's it's so, lost in the noise. So so, so this yeah. So this is like saying I am going to give you a loan of one rupee so that you buy hundred rupees worth of my product. ये पता नहीं. I I I I honestly don't know if uh, the Alzheimer's that uh, advanced stage Alzheimer's that Biden uh, seems to have is affecting everybody in that system out there. 
Well, um, they didn't even blink an eye, the Congress, the Senate and the White House, uh, just sanctioning 40 billion, B as in boy, uh, in the latest round to Ukraine. I mean, this comes on top of several other such huge allocations. Now, you understand what's happening in Ukraine also. So you look at all the testimonies of the Western mercenaries who went to fight there. None of the equipment shortages have been solved. The commanders are siphoning off money left, right and center. You saw how the money was managed in Afghanistan. No, Tell me what percentage of that $1 trillion that was spent on Afghanistan actually went to the Afghan people and how much of it came back to American military contractors and things like that. Right. So this is... Uh, and the first result of that $40 billion is Jack Posobiec has tweeted... The, the Ukrainian delegation in Davos is bigger even than the Chinese delegation. <laughs> so they all paid business class fares. City, and you know, Davos hotel rooms at this time of the year are insanely expensive. Insane. As it is Switzerland, five-star hotels are insane. But at this time of the year, they're particularly insane. And you're hosting it with so many Ukrainians. What was the need for so many Ukrainians? But they've all come there on government dying. This is what the Palestinians do. This is what that entire Iraqi leadership of Ahmed Chalabi and all those people that they wanted to install first did. This is what um, uh, all the Afghan leaders did. They all have their own private jets and this and that. The average Afghan has nothing more than he, what he had 20, 30 years back. So I think it's almost an admission that Ukraine is going to end up looking very much like what Syria and Afghanistan do now. It's going to be a broken society that's going to take decades, if not centuries, to rebuild, if at all. So I take it that I have not been to Davos. That's why I'm asking you this question. I take it that Davos has its share of Four Seasons, Marriott's, Hilton, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so there was one hotel that I stayed at at Davos, which was... Uh, um, it wasn't a chain. It was a standalone hotel. And they would only accept cash. They did not accept credit. Uh, and I I remember this was for one of the ancillary conferences. It wasn't the main thing. I could never afford the main. I mean, I can, but I, I'm not going to waste that kind of money on uh, rubbish. It was something like 860 euros a night. Wow. And I'm thinking, what are you offering me for 860 euros a night? It was just a wooden cabin with a bed, a coffee machine, uh, uh, a, uh, you know, that uh, electric kettle yes. and hot running water in the bathroom. <laughs> Makes more noise than hot water. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, why? Why? Why is it 860 euros a night? You've got to be dumb. You, you're better off going off to the Maldives, uh, you know, uh, uh, $860 a night. You can get those full villas with their own plunge pools and things like that out there. <laughs> but it is what it is. It's, it's, it's insane. But by the way, the three names I mentioned, they're all American hotel chains. That's why I asked you that question. Next question, please. Uh, Abhijit Mohanty wants to know, what prompted the Biden comment on military intervention to protect Taiwan? Is a Chinese invasion of Taiwan happening anytime soon? And what role will India play in case a war breaks out? 
that i can tell you nothing but go ahead nothing exactly answer to, answer to number three is nothing we will make lots of statements okay uh, a chinese invasion of taiwan happening anytime soon it's very hard to tell it's very very hard to tell uh, and sometimes you can get it totally wrong because remember based on uh, it's it's impossible to gauge intent you know this is why they always say uh intent can change capability is a permanent tangible they have large deployments of the taiwanese court uh, coast when will the intent change it's impossible to tell okay uh i don't know i honestly don't know uh my personal inkling is that they probably won't but then look how badly i got it wrong on uh, russia and ukraine so uh, best not to take my uh, uh, best not to take my uh, uh, assessments of people's uh, intent on this number one what prompted biden well alzheimer's uh, you know they've had to issue a clarification now the white house has had to issue a clarification he said yes we will protect it because we have made a commitment america has made no such commitment let me read out what the white house has said uh uh to uh, uh this thing uh in clarification like these days they have to clarify everything we agree on the one china policy we signed on to it and all the attendant agreements made from there uh but the idea that it can be taken by force just be taken by force is not it's not it's just not appropriate it will dislocate the entire region another action similar to what happened in ukraine this is what biden said now A White House spokeswoman repeated the comment after Biden's remarks, saying the president reiterated the one-China policy and uh, its commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself, not to defend Taiwan, but the military means to defend Taiwan, and that's a big difference from say 1997 when. Uh, 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 the uh, 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 Clinton administration they sent in a aircraft carrier into the Taiwan Straits when China was threatening Taiwan over its first actual free and fair election. And White House officials later added that Biden simply meant the U.S. would provide military equipment. They they said that Biden meant that's not what Biden said, but they said that this is what Biden meant that the U.S. would provide military equipment to Taiwan. not send troops to defend the island if china attacks which would constitute a landmark shift in policy all right so before we go to the next question this uh, response reminds me of the tata docomo ad there is a series of ads extremely successful one of them is uh, cell phone company or ma no ka matlab samajhte hi nahi ala aalu ke parathe ala mooli ke parathe ala naya color tune so something like that is what america is promising uh, taiwan so we'll have to wait and see whether taiwan can even take that and do something with it clearly ukraine But i don't look, know the american american military commitments you know everybody uh, keeps criticizing trump for weakening nato and all that crap let's not forget trump started this by arming the ukrainians however he was very clear that if you want protection you need to pull your weight 
The problem, of course, is that prior to him, Obama and Co never pulled their weight, but they were weakening alliance commitments left, right, and center. So when you know Japan had its problem with the Daiyu Islands with uh, 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 China, the Americans put out a statement saying, uh, you know, it's it's only committed to defend the Japanese mainland, which means that if China attacked Daiyu and Senkaku, uh, it would not protect. That was the implication. Okay, so th- there's been a weakening of the American stance. for a very long time when they said asian pivot do you know what they ended up doing they went from uh, the first island chain which was about five not even island chain the deployments around 5 600 kilometers away from the coast to a deployment 1000 kilometers away from the coast and they called it the asian pivot here's the thing democrats will always get away with shit because they know how to rebrand it and they've got a press that eats out of their hands a fully liberal press who will support everything they say So true. So true. Next question, please. Uh, TJ wants to know: Does India government have a policy to reduce the imports of agricultural products and replace them by encouraging farmers to cultivate such crops? Well, look, the farm laws were the first step in that direction. What happened to the farm laws? Gone. So you see, when you can't make agriculture commercially viable. you can't really do much by way of import substitution how did russia become uh, the breadbasket of the world because they made it uh, they made agriculture commercially feasible okay here your storage is an issue most of the grain in your silos is rotting or rotten you a huge percentage i i haven't checked it was something like 30 40 maybe more of your produce actually rots in transit okay when you have so much wastage so much wastage of water i mean even on the food product even the uh, raw materials used are wasted so badly so much inefficiency in your fertilizer policy where the money is essentially given to the fertilizer maker instead of point of sale subsidies for the uh, uh, farmer it's it's just bound to be abused there's so many inefficiencies in agricultural policy none of which are getting sorted out to date the uh, uh, fertilizer uh, uh, subsidies have not been sorted out they're one of the worst kind of subsidies humanly possible the most abused subsidies humanly possible and a huge source of corruption uh, in government do you see any uh, thing to replace them no you you create yourself as being agriculturally uh, self reliant and things like that by streamlining policy policy has not been streamlined therein lies your problem and remember when you streamline policy you will also find there are certain things you cannot grow to a uh, uh, um, to a standard that is uh, uh, at a cost that your market is able to sustain so you will actually see inflation on certain items so for example sela basmati and basmati might go to the roof because you know the actual cost of aging that parboiling process and aging the basmati when it becomes golden is an additional value add and things like that so that might actually rise but it's electoral politics that dictates that you will never go down the path of market rationalization of food policy which is why your agriculture is never going to be what it should be <clears throat> kanda batata will you sit in a 737 max after its software update and pilot training why are us airlines so bad 
I will never sit in a 737 Max. I will never. Uh, I uh, I was booked onto a 737 Max uh, in about 10 days time. I threw a huge bloody tantrum and changed the aircraft to a 787. Uh, 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 and why are US airlines so bad? Well, look, it all starts off with that Fly America Act, right? The Fly America Act and the consolidation. It essentially created a environment where you had one mon- uh, monopoly uh, and a captive market that all American government revenue or government associated revenue only has to go onto a US airline or a US code share, which first of all gives you a captive market, a huge captive market, incidentally. And second, the fact that these companies started consolidating into just four major, four, five major airlines. So, uh, what you have Southwest still. You Jet have Blue. JetBlue, uh, American, Alaska, Delta, uh, American, Delta, United, and yeah, Alaska. Alaska, Alaska, Hawaiian, Hawaiian. Now, out of these, you look at JetBlue, Alaska, Hawaiian, and uh, Southwest, and uh, not Southwest. Uh, the other three, they are kind of niche airlines, whereas Southwest is uh, a, a complete low-cost carrier. But you can't tell the difference when you're flying in America. They used to make fun of Southwest peanuts at one point of time. But you tell me, where do you get service on Delta United or uh, 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 this thing on a domestic flight in America? No, it's across the board now. It's across the board now. Everybody have taken everything And the costs And the costs are insane. Before the Fly America Act came, I remember flying in America and the tickets used to be dirt cheap. Sometimes you used to get tickets from New York to San Francisco for something. I remember paying $120 for a ticket in uh, 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 the early 90s. Today, for a short hop from Albuquerque to uh, uh, Denver, you have to pay some obnoxious... There isn't a single ticket available for under $400-$500. Okay, it's an extraordinarily inefficient market. Uh, that's essentially been manipulated by big business to suit their own interest. Plus, yes, there's all kinds of crap like unionization and things like that and affirmative action and all of that. In Qatar, you will never get bad service. You know why? Because the crew are terrorized. If there's a single crew complaint, you'll get screwed. In America, there can be a hundred crew complaints. You can actually take hot coffee and pour it on your passenger. And you can justify it and get away with it. Okay, I'm exaggerating a bit. But you can get away with absolute crap on an American airline. So this is the thing. I mean, all these costs, they end up, you think they're all for the better. Essentially, Fly America was a socialist act, if you look at it. It wasn't a a globalization act. It was actually an anti-globalization act. And it resulted in market inefficiency. There's a reason we have Monopoly and Restrictive Trade Practices Act. True. I mean, it's not as comprehensive in America. But for all effects and purposes, it is a kind of uh, oligopoly. So it is what it is. And the next question again from Kanda is, which private jet do you like for long haul flights? Bombardier, Dassault or Gulfstream? Or or something else? I hate private jets for long haul flights. Uh, I've flown in a Global Express and a Gulfstream uh, on long haul, and I've done Dassault on a short hop. The 
they are horrible. First of all, you feel completely claustrophobic. The food is crap because they present it very finely. I mean, they'll give you caviar and things, but the quality is never, you're never going to produce in that kitchen what you can in a big wide body jet kitchen, right? Uh, you're not going to get the same range that you get in a wide body jet. The, the uh, turbulence is far worse on a, 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 a small uh, private jet. It's a lot scarier. The windows are bigger. That's great. Okay, the windows, especially on the Gulf Stream, I think the Gulf Stream is my favorite in terms of window size. But never again. Never again. The last time I flew, and you know, I'm the kind of person that actually likes turbulence. Um, my, my greatest thrill when flying is not the in-flight entertainment. It's when real bad turbulence hits and to watch passengers screaming and I'm going, <laughs> um, and things like that. And I literally go and chabi marofai, you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to crash. We're going to crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better start screaming. And they'll be like, ah! but well, that's my vicarious pleasure. If there is no turbulence, I will invariably steal something from the plane. Because I'm like, Tune mera paisa vasool kiya. and I'm especially nasty with plane captains that get into turbulence, avoid it, and then try to uh, you know decrease altitude and things like that to get out of the turbulence. So, coming from somebody like that, these private jets are scary. They're really scary, and they are so claustrophobic. You can't get up. You can't really walk. walk. When you get up, you feel your head's going to hit the roof. They're horrible. I don't know why people like them. It's all dikhava ke liye. You know, showing ki you're this big shot. Never fly. Never, never fly. I'm a big fan of commercial aviation. Next question, please. Uh, Abhishek wants to know, why did truth and reconciliation after apartheid fail in South Africa? Well, it wasn't truth and reconciliation that failed. It was the economic model that failed. Okay, it was the economic model that failed. The truth and reconciliation worked in a sense. <clears throat> the problem was, of course, the economic model didn't factor in that reconciliation. Instead, it took the concept of privilege. You oppressed us, therefore you must suffer. And so they destroyed the entire economy. And mind you, they actually had a template to not do that. The template was Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe did the same thing. Once Zimbabwe was the breadbasket, you know, Zimbabwe at one point of time used to be one of the biggest contributors to the World Food Program for uh, 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 crop reduction and things. And that is when they kept white farmers running the farmlands commercially. Then when the ZANU-PF and Mugabe wanted to uh, 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 redistribute, and by the way, Mugabe was a murderer. People don't realize this, but they got North Korean death squads to come and wipe out whole populations and things like that. It wasn't that bad in South Africa. That every time that economy would fail, they would do what Nehru did. Nationalize, nationalize, nationalize. Your economy is failing, nationalize, increase revenue, and then destroy what you've uh, taken. The same thing, of course, in India, it didn't get, well, it did actually get quite bad. They started seizing all the lands because there was nothing else left to seize. They destroyed their own crop productivity to the point where Zimbabwe still hasn't recovered. And this is exactly where South Africa was going. Privilege, 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 privilege. Naam ke vaste, they did truth and reconciliation. And the truth and reconciliation was only a one-way process. The white man had to admit guilt and reconcile. 
Whereas if you look at the run up to the first post apartheid election, the worst kind of atrocities were black on black atrocities. Where was the truth and reconciliation there? And after that, it was just a policy of our economy keeps failing because we're doing socialism. We're the rainbow country. So we're doing representation and this and that. Just gone to the dogs. And there's nothing you can do after it. Right. So it, it, it wasn't a case of truth and reconciliation failing. It was a case of bad economics through and through, which everybody had been warning them about for a very, very long time. And the Gupta brothers are just one part of that corruption that comes because of socialism, that when the state has so much power. But, you know, the Gupta brothers are the symptom. They're not the cause. Next question. <clears throat> Abhishek, again, what are the what's a what's the problem in Asian regional groups like ASEAN, Bibstec, and why did BRICS fail? So, um, look, when you have a regional grouping, you need to be clear about what you are for. Okay, uh, the EU started off doing it. The EU, the kernel of the EU, was something called the coal and steel community, and what it did was, it nationalized all, it unified all of Europe's coal and steel resources, which were the biggest uh, implements of making war, electricity and steel. And they were all brought into joint control. And that achieved two very important things. The rest of Europe wanted Germany contained and Germany wanted rehabilitation. So it rehabilitated Germany and it contained Germany because all of its steel and coal were essentially made national European products. It worked very well. Then comes NATO. Uh, oh, well, NATO comes slightly before uh, or after. I've forgotten now. But anyway, NATO. NATO was very clear. We are only here to protect Europe from Russia. Okay. They were clear yeah, about yeah. that. The Marshall Plan, everybody had roughly equal economic policies. And so they, the, uh, 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 the initial coal and steel community did very well. The old EU did very well because they almost all had equivalent levels of development. NATO did very well because it was focused entirely on the USSR. But then what happens is the USSR breaks and NATO is now missionless. So they start absorbing, threatening this, that, going for regime change operations, etc., etc., etc. The EU forgets what its initial purpose was. They start believing their own bullshit. And they decide to expand to the pigs. So Ireland, uh, Portugal, uh, pigs, P-I-I-G-S. Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain, which had huge problems. Now, Spain wasn't actually a pigs. Spain became a pigs because of all the socialist policies that came after Franco. Spain was one of the poorest economies, but it became one of the world's top 10 economies. And then it went zoom. I mean, that's, that's a different conversation to have. Now you have massive economic disparity where poorer countries like Greece have maybe one third the per capita had, one third the per capita income of the richer countries. And this was bound to get screwed over because it's an issue of scale. When you impose the lowest common denominator, it's the same issue of socialism, that you're working to the lowest common denominator and it never works for everybody. Now, with ASEAN, BIMSTEC and things like that, you're seeing the same thing. What is your agenda? Are you first clear? If you have a one-point agenda, it'll work. 
if you have an unstated multi-point agenda, how is it going to work, boss? So tell me, how is ASEAN? What does anyone actually know what ASEAN's agenda is? Nothing. Does anyone actually know what BIMSTEC is for? The more you see an organization getting generalized, the more, the greater the chances of its failure. And you've seen this. If you don't believe me, you've seen this happen. You've seen this happen with uh, uh, the EU and with NATO, which should technically be the most focused of the lot. They're not. BRICS failed for the same reason. How can you have two enemy countries, uh, uh, you know, two enemy countries can get along when they both accept that the third enemy is much bigger. So Greece and Turkey hate each other, came to blows several times, but they both accept that the USSR was a bigger threat. But India and China, who has decided who is the bigger threat? How is Brazil uh, seeing any of what we see as a threat as a threat to them? South Africa, where? So, you know, these are very badly constructed groups. They're not thought out. There's, uh, they're, they're basically developed so that Babu's can have, it, it's a money spinning machine. Okay, uh, it's a money laundering and a money spinning machine where you can have conferences, you can have free trips, you can get up your airline points, you can get foreign trips, etc., 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 and you can spew a whole load of bullshit. Next question, please. Abhijit Mohanty again. What do you think of the new guidelines that mandate VPN companies must collect and store user data for at least five years? Well, that's Indian companies. The issue is how you're going to enforce it. Most VPN companies don't have India offices. No? So how are you going to uh, uh, enforce this uh, in any form or way? Because all you need to do is if you've already got a VPN installed, you go into another country, download the VPN and install it. At least in the app store, you can force the app store to ban it. <clears throat> on the computer, who's going to ban it? Um, and once you've done that install, the uh, .apk or whatever it's called, you just keep forwarding it to every one of your friends on Android or whatever, and it'll install uh, by itself. I, I Look, this is a classic case of over-regulation, uh, uh, badly thought out over-regulation. Nothing... What do you say in Hindi? yes. Kapil Gurma, what do you see as the future of FA18 trials? Why Navy has been given step Navy has not been given stepmotherly treatment. The problem is the Navy are behaving like dicks. They don't want the same plane that the Air Force operates. So they don't want the Rafal. They want something else. And they want three planes. They want the naval Tejas. They want the MiG-29, which is a failure, incidentally, because its landing carriage is crap. Uh, and now they want a third plane, which means that the second aircraft carrier will have to be redesigned because the first aircraft carrier has 10 meter wide uh, 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 10 meter wide uh, uh, elevators, which means the Rafale can't be slotted in there and possibly even the F-18 can't be slotted in there. So that will always remain, that plane will always remain an L. that aircraft carrier will always remain an LCA MiG-29 carrier, whereas your next carriers will have F-18 or Rafale, or the Navy would like to avoid the Rafale. 
So, you know, this is everybody trying and the lack of your political leaderships cracking the whip. This is where the technical knowledge of your babus and your elected politicians matters so much. They'll refuse to crack the whip. Next question, please. Chaitanya Ji wants to know, do you invest in real estate? Any idea why real estate prices quadrupled between 2009 and 14? Impact of remote work on city real estate. Will One, one question at a time. Do you invest in real estate? No. Okay. Any idea my mom, why real my estate mom advised me against it because she always says, instead of putting crores and crores into real estate, Think of how many holidays uh, for the amount you invest in real estate. For the rest of your life, you could possibly go abroad every single year and book a suite in a five-star hotel anywhere from Patagonia to Antarctica cruise to, uh, uh, you know, uh, a private island in the Maldives and be much happier. So I don't invest in real estate. It's a horrible investment. I don't invest in it. Okay. Uh, why real estate prices quadruple? Well, demand and uh, hoarding. In India, hoarding still continues. There is a significant, you go look at all these high rises that are coming up in Gurgaon and Noida. I don't know where you are, Chaitanya, but they're just sitting and squatting on them without releasing it to the public. There is, first of all, high demand. But then we're not seeing that demand getting met. There is something very, very wrong with the market. There is some very serious market manipulation happening, which is not being cracked down upon. Uh, they did try RERA. They did think RERA was going to control it. Clearly, it is not controlling it. So clearly, the problem lies elsewhere. Because remember, real estate is the biggest source of money laundering and black money in India. In Kashmir, it is so in your face, it's not even funny. It was the biggest source of terror funding also. Which is why, you know, uh, uh, Amit Shah brought up that cement thing. And when he brought up that cement thing in his 370 abrogation, I'm like, okay, this guy is onto something, so he's going to fix it. No, it hasn't been fixed. Will people stop moving into metro cities? No, they won't. Uh, if anything, it's going to get worse. Today, do you, do you know how big your NCR actually is? You're looking at an NCR footprint of about 70-odd million people. Where your urban planning is so bad. So, so, so completely bad. With such a horrible standard of living for people. And yet, remember, it is still a better standard of living for people than th those people coming from the villages. If you actually go check the uh, 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 MNREGA figure, the, the people employed, not MNREGA, we still don't have the MNREGA figures, but if you go check the, uh, uh, well, somebody has the MNREGA figures. I've been trying to get my hands on it. Uh, I haven't been able to get it for two years. So if any of you get it, please let me know. Uh, you look at the 2012 or something uh, industrial, the last industrial survey prior during the UPA, your agriculture had come down to 12%. Suddenly, in the last uh, survey about two, three years back, I forget when, uh, it had gone up back to 20%. That's hidden unemployment. That's seasonal or total hidden unemployment. There's something very serious happening. We don't know what because, unfortunately, a lot of data simply isn't being released. So, for example, they stopped releasing 
the TB deaths, the annual TB deaths figure, uh, death figures are no longer released. You know, we lose something like between two to four lakh people every year from TB, which is also a respiratory disease like COVID. Two to four lakhs a year. They've stopped releasing the figures in public. So there's a lot of issues happening. Uh, construction is the single most corrupt, corrupting, black marketeering, criminal incentivizing industry that there is in India today. Um, uh, just to add to what you said, uh, Vijit, I traveled in Delhi Metro at around 2 p.m., not what I would call as peak hours, and the train was chock full. Chock full. I mean, barely standing room. And this is COVID time. Next question, please. Uh, Abhishek again. Sir, is it true that recruitment in any army happens from the most economically backward region of that country? If it's true, then why? Yes, uh, almost anywhere in the world, uh, uh, the bulk of your army is always recruited from depressed areas uh, across the board. It doesn't matter where, unless you're saying in, an, in some kind of an artificially socially engineered state like, uh, 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 say, Pakistan or North Korea, where. Uh, but even in Pakistan, you'll find the troops are mostly from the economically backward area. Why? Because it offers a fantastic opportunity for social advancement. If you die in the line of duty, you are looked after to the same level that uh, uh, anybody is. In most cases, it is the only way out of your dire economic straits. Now, remember, if you're doing very well, you're not going to think there'll, there'll be one or two people who will say, in most cases, you will not. Okay. But in the poorer sections where you have no alternatives, it's a fantastic career and social mobility opportunity, which is why it happens across the board, everywhere, in every single geography, in every single kind of economy. All right. We are about two-thirds into our program, and uh, we're going to try and work as many questions as possible. And then if there's any overflow, as always, we will work out a way in which Abhijit can record an offline session and then put that up. I hope that's okay with you, Abhijit. I'm trying to keep this thing to 55 to 60 minutes max. Yes, 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 yes. Sir, is it true, Abhishek, sir, is it true that recruitment in it? Ah, next. Yeah, no, next question, please. Question. Yeah. Kapil, Kapil what is India's to... progress in shipbuilding? Are we building new ships other than submarines at a good rate? Uh, are they technologically and up to par with the PLA Navy? Okay. Uh, uh, what is India's progress in shipbuilding? Quite decent, actually. Uh, the problem is we've never gotten in big time into commercial shipbuilding, which is where the money is. Okay, so Turkey, for example, got into yachts. Uh, which is a huge money spinner uh, because they brought in this, you know, this uh, frugal Indian innovation. They brought it into luxury yachts and the yachts are very good. They're doing well. And that has been the basis for uh, improving the military shipbuilding. In India, we don't do that. Uh, all our policies are against commercial shipbuilding. Panamax, Suez Max, that's the maximum uh, width that and length. 160 that can... feet, 160 feet wide. That, that can go through those particular canals and things like that. So uh, they are, uh, uh, you know, like I said, like that agriculture answer, the problem is your entire regulatory and legal network is so bad, you've screwed yourself over miserably. 
Okay. Plus, of course, there were the mistakes that other people also made. So Pippa Verb was completely top heavy. The gentleman who used to own it, he, he used to just hire Acha Aap Admiral Te Aap Aja. Aap Kuchor Te Aap Pi Aja. To what end? So it actually had good tech, but the problem was the management structure was absolutely horrible. There, there was no correlation with reality. Okay. The main components of it, uh, the engine propulsion and things like that, uh, we don't do, uh, uh, which is very, very problematic. I mean, how are you building a ship without building the engine for it? We still have not because we keep multi-sourcing engines from all over the place. We've never streamlined it on any one engine. Are they technologically up to the par with the PLA Navy? That's a very complicated question. Uh, there are some pieces of equipment on our ships, like say the Israeli MF Star radar and the Barak and the Brahmos, which are probably superior to anything that the Chinese Navy has, okay, or the Scorpion. The problem is, do they talk to each other? Because see, nobody, if you put Israeli and Russian equipment on the same ship, the Israelis aren't going to give you the source codes, the Russians aren't going to give you the source codes. It's that simple. So it's a huge problem for these two to get to talk to each other. Uh, and that becomes very, very problematic for me. Okay, so isme kuch nahi hota hai. So we have better technology given to us, not indigenized, but bought from abroad. Can we deploy it properly? No. Should we be say deploying it in bulk? Yes, but remember, just one ship of the PLA Navy, the latest destroyer that they have, has more vertical launch tubes than your entire Eastern fleet. Okay, which is problematic. Because like Stalin used to say, quantity has a quality all of its own. So tumhara quality may be bohat hera feri hai and ek saath kaam bhi nahi karta hai, unka kuch to hai. Next question from Chaitanya Naidu. Do you think creation of Pakistan army, which is the glue that holds Pakistan, has been able to solve the Northwest invasion conundrum of the subcontinent? Yes, in a sense, right? Because technically, all the problems uh, Pakistan has with its Pashtun population and Taliban uh, should have been Indian problems, but Pakistan essentially became a buffer for us. And it's 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 not a bad bargain. It's, it's a fairly decent bargain, I think. Next. Giga Chad, I'm mediocre in studies and thinking of doing my master's from Australia in software. But there's a lot of negative views that standard of living is very costly. And plus it's next to impossible and people are blah, blah, blah. What are your thoughts? <coughs> Look, boss, um, mediocre in studies uh, is... I said going to no, uh, Canada. Uh, just... just just uh, uh, telling you. So basically, all he wants is a pros. No, no, one second. Get, get to the one second. One second, Shri. Go to the next uh, part of this question, please. The Canada part. Uh, telling me to go to Canada. Should I please guide me, Bhaiya? Can you please tell me pros and cons of Oz versus Canada? Okay, first of all, please do not be an apologetic Hindu. Just shut up and study out there. Okay? Hindu vadi sab baad mein asakta hai. Ab tak tum chup karo. Uh, you swallow it. Right now, you screw your Hinduism and keep it hidden. Number one. Number two, Oz versus Canada. I'm sorry. I, I 
personally have not seen a difference they both have extremely high uh, um, standards of living they are costly to live in okay but it doesn't matter because if you go there and get a degree remember their way of thinking is also very different you get several chances and when you get those chances it's the chances that matter the methods of teaching are better the individual attention is better the uh, objectives and things are much more clearly defined it's a much more problem solving method invest in yourself boss if you don't invest in yourself nobody's going to invest in you okay so go do what you can out there ultimately dekho mere class mein bhi bahut sare mediocre students hote the i was a bizarre student in some subjects that i like i used to be top of the class in the other students i uh, in the other uh, classes that i didn't like i used to be not bottom of the class i used to be bottom of the bottom of the class so you will ultimately make it but go for something that you enjoy studying don't go and study something mummy papa ne bola hai padhne ke liye theek hai so go do that and i personally don't feel i do i don't see any particular difference between australia and canada in terms of standards of living of course if you go to a expensive place like say sydney or melbourne it's going to be bloody expensive or even brisbane you're probably better off going to perth or adelaide or uh, something like that and making a go of it because the teaching is the same huh? so it's no big deal so go there and just invest in yourself oh um before we go to the next question one piece of advice most of the time to save costs people tend to stay uh, room together i've seen some horror situations in san jose itself yeah. just less than 5 miles from where i live yeah 10 kids to a two bedroom apartment they have barely sleeping space that they can call as their own and in fact they work from their sleeping place they they you know sleep there i mean practically they are living in that 6 by 3 area that they have chalked out for themselves you know the pizza the the dust is overflowing each one thinks that the other one should take it out they all have this you know i'll do this i'll do this or nobody does nothing the pig style it's really really bad think carefully before you go out yeah and and most important please don't get into an indian ghetto the last thing you can do to screw your own life is get into an indian ghetto because it's comfortable for you oh they like me they eat my food they uh, talk like me therefore i'm going to stay with them no get past your own uh, inferiority complexes and mingle you're not going there to meet indians if you're going there to, if you want to meet indians you stay here only uh, ishan sharma what are your views on the new australian pm is the australian labor party more beneficial than the australian no 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 you're going to see all the negatives come out i personally no anthony albanese he was a nasty guy then he is a nasty guy now he's been a vitriolic trade union leader i never liked him when i lived there he was always the worst most regressive part of the uh, 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 regressively socialist trade unionist type there and don't forget it was john howard that brought in the india nuclear deal and cuz kevin rudd that cancelled that nuclear deal labor anywhere in the world is not good for india please get it through your head the problem with the indian media is they don't remember any of the history of the australian labor party vis-a-vis india they are shitheads of the worst possible kind and anthony albanese is he's the shit that floats to the top when you poop in in a proper uh, uh, western style commode you'll see it floats to the top that's healthy shit that's what's happening out there 
Anthony Albanese, please don't go by, oh, he was wearing the saffron uh, Om sign or, oh, he backpacked in India and, oh, he visited India. Hey, backpack, he had a big deal. Either in 2018, he had a big deal. So, spare me that crap. Be very, 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 very of labor. They are not your friends. The problem, remember, in Australia is the same as it is in America or Britain. Indians are not, Hindus are not a united voting block. Indians are not a united voting block. But you'll find a lot of Turks and things like that, Sudanese, Somali, they all tend to congregate and become voting blocks. Uh, so you will never be, you will always be a disposable commodity for labor. STGK, Sri and AIM, thoughts on Sadhguru's Save the Soil movement? I don't know. What is it? Well, uh, Sadhguru has been on a tour of the world trying to save the soil. We've actually done a program with somebody who has worked on this, that the upper surface of soil uh, across the earth is in bad shape, that you need to dig out, I think, the first 20 feet or 25 feet and then go deep and then get that soil and bring it up to the top. And then you make sure that that soil is sustaining, self-sustaining for a longer, uh, you know, greener climate. So this is a big, big topic. I don't know how much of uh, depth Sadhguru is handling on the, uh, dealing with in this. Conceptually, probably he's selling it. But I have actually had uh, SMEs, subject matter experts, who come and explain how this is done. So... Uh, look out for that uh, video. I'll give uh, on the description what the name of the particular person is. He is based out of Bengaluru and he's done a fantastic job on that uh, thing. Next question, please. Last two questions. Devanjan Banerjee, why do you believe Punjab situation will become bad? Lots of issues. First, remember, it is an economic hellhole. Okay, the 1991 reforms of Narsimha Rao, the uh, uh, industrial, uh, the, the first proto-industrialization wave that it unleashed never took off in Punjab because at that time, remember, the Punjab insurgency was still going on. So they skipped that wave. They remained agricultural feudal. And now that agricultural revolution is coming to an end. The water tables are going to end in the next five to seven years. The, uh, 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 the, the, the crop has lost its entire, in the last 10, 15 years, it has been so thoroughly abused. The soil has lost its regenerative ability because it's been completely overused and destroyed. No uh, sane uh, 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 agricultural practices and things like that. Then you're doing slash and burn and crap like that out there. So the one thing you depended on, you're killing the goose that laid golden eggs. You don't even want commercial companies, which is what the farm laws was about, commercial companies to come in and regenerate that entire uh, this thing. Uh, entirely masterminded by the Jat Sikhs, uh, uh, who account for about, what, less than 20%, but they control everything out there. Uh, because, you know, every person, irrespective of the party, Akali, uh, uh, BJP, uh, AAP, uh, uh, Congress. Congress is a Jat Sikh. So it, no matter who you vote for, you're essentially voting for the same interest group. Okay. Uh, there is that. And so what is happening is that rural distress is growing, 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 growing. Now, industry, tumhara, uh, uh, 
the average Punjabi farmer is so deep in debt, he has no avenue of coming out of it and increase social strife out there, increasing money pouring in for re-radicalizing. So it is, it is like your perfect storm coming together. And the AAP, because of the way it works, is actually accelerating the process. You're already seeing the beginnings of an insurgency, boss. Learn to read the signs. I was thinking, Last question for today. M. Rao wants to know, what languages do you speak, Abhijit? I, I speak Gali language. I speak Gali language very fluently in at least 20, 30 languages. Uh, but uh, serious answer is uh, English, Hindi, Tamil, Bengali. Uh, my Italian is very decent, like I can manage. Uh, my grammar tends to get quite wrong. Uh, my uh, uh, German is also half decent. It's not as good as my Italian, but it's half decent. My Latin is actually better than my Italian. So every time I get stuck for uh, a word in Italian, I go to Latin and they end up looking at you like, is this boy mad? Uh, uh, but chalta hai. I mean, they get, you know, they, they, they're forced to study the classics in Italy. So wo bhi chalta hai and they kind of understand what I'm talking about between the Latin and the Italian. But that's about it. And I swear very profusely in lots of languages. I can swear fantastically in Arabic, in Hebrew, in Farsi especially. Some of my Farsi swear words, even Farsi people look at me and come to learn what do you say and they want to learn my swear words for me. Uh, uh, ja Japanese, I'm very good at swearing. Um, unfortunately, in Mandarin and uh, uh, Cantonese, I tried swearing, but they're like, because, you know, I'm tone I'm not tone deaf, I'm tone dumb. I, I, I understand how it's being said, but I can't reproduce it properly. So uh, my uh, Mandarin, Vietnamese and Cantonese are very, very bad. Uh, my Russian swear language is excellent. My Italian swear language, I am a bloody virtuoso. Whether my Italian is good or not, my Italian swearing is fantastic. It, usually everybody starts laughing when I start swearing in Italian and they're like, yeah, man, yeah, man. Really good, really good, really good. Um, yeah, even my French swearing is very good and my Spanish swearing is kind of okay. So, uh, yeah, these would be my... All right, then. And, uh, well, Satya... Ah, Sri Uncle. So, uh, so, see, Satya has an important point. I told them that, you know, you had gone off for these last two weeks because... Uh, yeah, I saw uh, that. Uh, yeah. Yes, Elon Musk had called you to become... Uh, first week, it was vice president. Now, you're president. So, how did it go, sir? <laughs> what sir i'm not even gotten a, a tea invite leave alone a job invite so we will wait and see what happens <laughs> as always you're perfectly you wasted a perfectly good hour listening to some stuff from abhijit we hope that you find it useful just kidding abhijit has is a, is a storehouse, a mine house of information, a lot of perspectives that you get from him. Don't take our word for it. Do your research. But do understand that Abhijit, instead of starting you from zero, starts you from like 30%. So you are well on your way to become very, very intelligent. Thanks once again, Abhijit. And we'll talk to you again soon. Namaskar. Vail, 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 vail,